So, um, here's where I would put myself. But you can't look it up. Don't cheat. Promise me you won't cheat. Good. Okay. Yeah, everyone in unison. That was perfect. Jeez, old Pete. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 is where I'll put myself. Don't turn there yet because at some point I'm going to invite you to put yourself in the story of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. But there's some things that we have to take care of before we get there. So I will put myself in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Don't flip there yet. But what you can do is flip to Acts chapter 1, because that's where we're going to begin. Hey, if you're new to the Bible, this is how it goes. In the New Testament, it tell, there are four books. It starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those guys all tell the same story. And just like men, they all can't tell it the same, right? They tell the story of Jesus um, from birth to resurrection. And then when it's all said and done, like when Jesus resurrects into heaven... Now what? The very next book after John is the book of Acts. Uh, if you have a King James Version Bible or you come from a more, um, we call higher church tradition, uh, your, your, your title might be Acts of the Apostles. What's a better title for Acts is Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit works through these men. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, don't get there yet, describes these the type of men and women that the Holy Spirit works there. Don't look. I know some of y'all are being punks right now and looking. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be that guy, okay, or girl, or child, or whatever. And so what happens after the life of Jesus is the church. Go ahead, Acts chapter 1, open up with me, and let's see what God does here for the next few minutes. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes a history on the church, the book of Acts. Verse 2, Until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. Verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Here's what's interesting to me. First of all, this verse tells us that uh, Jesus came back, right? It's another book that talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And when Jesus came back, if I came back, I would play pranks on everybody, right? Jesus, who was probably pretty funny, he decides, man, if I'm going to talk about one thing, before I ascend into heaven, if I'm going to talk about one thing, I'm not going to go to the Pharisees and say, ha, 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 I proved you wrong. I'm not going to go to the Sadducees and say, hey, resurrection's real, check it out. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I'm going to talk about one thing. It's going to be what? What does he teach about? He teaches about the kingdom of God. In Jesus' life, if you go back and read through the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus teaches about one thing more than any other thing. And it's not church. It's not miracles. It's not even grace or judgment. The one thing that Jesus teaches about more than any other thing is the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of restore church. Not the kingdom of whatever. He talks about a kingdom of God. 
which we believe here at Restore, it's much bigger than us. Right? That all churches are part of the kingdom of God as, as long as they, they preach Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what Jesus talks about. He says all the time, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. Now, here's the question. Who's around him the whole time he's doing these teachings? His disciples. His 12 closest friends. We call them his disciples. They're, they're following all around him, and they're hearing him say, the kingdom of God is like, 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 and he's teaching about it. But check this out. You ever feel like this whole Christian thing, you don't always get it? Or like there's this time in your life where you're doing so good, and then all of a sudden, you just don't? Right? You start to backtrack, you start to make decisions you're not proud of, you don't understand why you're doing it. The disciples sometimes will do that. It's like just when you think they're getting it, then they do something like this. Jesus, with his resurrection, decides to talk about the kingdom of God. Look at verse, um, uh, uh, look at verse 4. On one occasion while he was with them, he gave them this command, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me. John baptized with water, you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now you're talking about a bunch of Jews behind them. And what they're thinking about is the time of David. Man, can you restore us to where, where David was the king? Or even Solomon, we'll take that. That was kind of peaceful. But can, can you restore Israel now? Uh, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he, was, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. Oh man, I love it. The disciples are with Jesus Jesus comes back from the grave, from the dead. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, and then he starts to ascend, and they're like, oh, oh his feet are getting off the ground. Dude, you see this? Like, I think he's actually leaving now. Ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, ho, before you leave us alone, Jesus, can you, like, take care of us real quick? Because here's the reality, is the Jews killed Jesus. Along with Rome, they killed Jesus, they crucified Jesus. And if Jesus, their defender, their teacher, their best friend, their inspiration, their motivation, all of the other Asians, when he's gone, they've got nothing left. And so they're like, dude, can you just protect us before you leave? Can you take care of the kingdom of Israel? Can you bring it back to prominence? Because we need that. And what was Jesus' response? You know, it's not for you to know that right now. So it's kind of like, Jesus like very passively was like, no, sit, stay. Actually, he does say, stay, stay in Jerusalem. No, I'm not going to. That's not really for you to know. But here's what will happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Um, there are times... When we get caught up in our own kingdom, that we ignore God's kingdom. We get so wrapped up in me and my life and what's going on here, 
what's going on in, in my, my surrounding, everything that I look at or everything that I'm involved in, and it's all about me. And I think I'm really speaking from a first-person perspective here. What about you? You ever get just so like wrapped up in your own little world uh, that you forget that there's a kingdom of God that you belong to? Listen, if you're not a Christian yet, uh, just stick with us. Like, Ask a bunch of questions. If you're an atheist, you're in the best church there is. Look, we want to be a part of your discovery. We want to be a part of your journey. This is a safe place. Ask whatever questions you want. Just not now because I don't have a lot of time, okay? I've been talking a lot of time. I've been talking long. All right, so... Um, but, but when you're a Christ follower, like your pursuit is the kingdom of God. And when you pursue a kingdom, you cannot pursue another kingdom at the same time. It's one or the other. Actually, if you were to try to pursue two kingdoms, you would become the enemy of both. And that's pretty good for not having any notes, right? Like if you try to pursue God's kingdom, man, you gotta go all in. Because if you try to turn around and pursue your kingdom, you, you're committing, like, probably, you're committing treason here. Like, you've got to pursue one kingdom. You can't, you can't pursue both. So do a survey real quick over the last 24 hours. Which kingdom did you pursue? Uh, do, do like the last month. Well, that, that was kind of tricky. The last month has just kind of sucked, right? So g- give me like two or three months. Does your bank account show a sacrificial Christ follower who will give to someone else before, before the things you want? Like, how much money did you give to Restore Church last month? Look, it's not about that. You've heard me say this a ton of times. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get up here and bash you about giving Restore Church money. Just pursue the kingdom of God with your bank account. We hope it's Restore, because Restore Church is loving Jacksonville like crazy right now. We want you to be a part of it. Over the last couple months, what have the majority of your discussions been about at your dinner table? Or, or what's the discussions between you and your spouse about most of the time? What percentage of that would you give to talking about spiritual things, or God, or the Bible, I'm going to be willing to bet that it's less than 10%. 5%? Would you give it 2%? How much time do you spend on social media as compared to how much time you spend reading God's word? How much time do you spend talking about other people instead of talking to God about those people? You see what I'm saying? Like you can't serve. If you're a Christ follower, all right, we got to move on. If you're a Christ follower, which kingdom are you pursuing? Your own? Or are you pursuing Jesus? You've got to pursue Jesus, all right? Jesus tells his disciples, hey, wait, because, because here's the thing. You've got to insert yourself at Acts 4.13. Don't cheat. Don't get there, because we're going to get there. But don't get there now. I know some of y'all. Like, we're getting to the point that if you have a really big Bible, it's on the same page. Just don't cheat. Just, you know, cover your, put your hand on, because the Lord's looking. All right, Jesus is gone. The disciples are together, and they're boys. They're homies, right? So they get together in one room. They decide to eat because that's what God's people do. They eat, and so they get together in one room, and they're like, okay, what now? He told us to sit. He told us to wait. What, what's up? Like, I would imagine the conversations in that room. 
Maybe Peter leans over to John. And he's like, dude, maybe we should just go back to, to fishing. Like, we're making an all right amount of money doing that before we follow Jesus. And he's gone. Maybe we should, maybe we should go do that. You think Matthew might have started thinking, you know, the tax collecting business is in full operation right now. I can maybe jump back in. Simon the Zealot just wanted to kill people, so it didn't matter what he wanted to do. <laughs> He's like, I'm um, growing antsy. Can we move now, please? And they, um, they're just sitting. I'm going to tell you the story, uh, and then, then we'll get there. Actually, I'll let God tell you the story. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one room. Suddenly, the sound, like a violent rushing wind, came in. And it came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. I love painting this scene. Like, we're sitting here, and we hear the wind, but you're... Your hat doesn't fly off or your, your pages aren't moving. Your hair stays the same, but you, you hear like tornado-type winds. I mean, if anybody knows what the winds sound like, it's us right now, right? Imagine all of Hurricane Florence, if you stayed or you watched videos. Imagine the sound of that, but none of the wind. That's kind of crazy. And then all of a sudden, what looked like tongues of fire, like, started to settle on them. And then, verse 4, and all of them, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were, staying in Jerusalem at this time, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. These God-fearing Jews were like Old Testament Jews. They haven't heard about Jesus yet. So these Jews aren't Christians, and they're gathered around. When they heard the sound, so it wasn't like these guys could hallucinate it because everyone else heard it. They came, uh, when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in uh, bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they had too much wine. Man, what an amazing moment. And maybe you would even put yourself here if you could insert yourself in the story. They're just chilling. They're asking questions. They might be even scared. And then all of a sudden, this sound comes in. Then, they're, then they just start speaking in languages. And like one guy's like, hey, do you even be, do you, can you believe what's going on? The other guy's like, I can't understand you. <laughs> that was funny. They start speaking in other languages. And, and then... And then people start coming to listen. They're like, I don't understand. How, how is this guy, he's just a Galilean, how is he able to speak in my language? Is, is he drunk? Someone else is like, I, I don't know, but I believe this. Now, the extrovert of the group, he's like, I'll take it from here. We got a big crowd in front of you, or a big crowd in front of them, 
And Peter steps up. The rest of the disciples, if you know the Gospels, the rest of the disciples are like, anybody else except Peter, don't let Peter go. Don't let Peter go. And then Peter comes from around. He's like, hey, I got this. All right, here we go. And they're like, oh, no, not Peter. <laughs> not Peter. Then Peter stood up with the 11, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Great reasoning, Peter. You couldn't say it was the Holy Spirit. You had to say it's 9 a.m. Maybe it was 9 p.m., maybe, but it's 9 a.m., so they can't be drunk. He says, no, this is what's spoken by the prophet Joel. And then this is what happens. He tells the story of Jesus. In the last days, God says in verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my... Hold on, let me pause on that. Even on my servants, both men and women... I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's what he's done. He's taken their Jewish history, their Jewishness, and he's saying, look at your Jewishness. It's pointing toward Jesus. And then Peter keeps preaching. It's like, dude, you need to add a joke or something. They're going to get mad. I mean, make a sports reference. Come on. Something. But he just keeps going. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you... With the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Verse 24. If you're underlining in your own Bible, why don't you underline the first two words of verse 24. They say, but God. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Matter of fact, just underline verse 24. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead and he saved him from death and the agony of death. And anybody who believes in him is what we just read in, in 21, verse 21, anyone who calls on him in the name of the Lord will be saved Verse 25, keep going with me. I know, man, this is good stuff, right? It's God's word. We're in it. Verse 25, David said about him, imagine that David, a thousand years before Jesus, talking about Jesus, right? Remez, anybody? David said about him, I saw the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Peter goes on to say, David... Uh, the David that you Jews love, the David that you are looking for the Messiah to come from the line of, that David, he's dead. And at one point he even said, I will die, but one day you will resurrect me. 
And they're like, whoa, okay, easy, dude. That's our David. And he, Peter doesn't pull, and he punches, and he talks about him being the Messiah, this one that is going to come. It was Jesus. Even David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. And God, verse 32, God raised Jesus, this Jesus, to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Verse 34, David was, and David didn't ascend into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until my enemies, your, uh, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, tell all Israel, be assured of this, God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Savior. Look, I, I don't know. I'm not Peter. I wasn't there. I would love to have been there. And I don't, I don't even know if I would have had the, uh, the goal to step up in front of all these people and, and in their face say, you crucified him, even though your people told you it was coming. I, I don't know that I would have done that. Here's what I know about Peter, is that he just stood up and he's like, here's the gospel of Jesus. And so I have to think, for Peter... Jesus was enough for him. From chapter 1, if you're going to be an Acts 4.13 kind of Christ follower, don't get there yet. If you're going to be a God pursuer and a God lover, um, you got to put the kingdom of God first. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has to be enough for you. But is he? You see, some of us, we want Jesus and some. Like our spiritual crisis comes when our bank account gets low. And so then we start to back off of our prayers. We back off of our sacrifices. We back off of loving other people because, man, we just... So we need Jesus and something. Some of us, we need Jesus and um, a strong marriage. Because once our relationship starts to flutter a little bit or starts to back off, we, we're like, man, God, are, are you? Like, we question God and not our own ability to forgive or ask for forgiveness. And so then we, we say, man, if I, I must, like, we back off of our faith. So we need Jesus and something. Some of us, it's our mental health. Right? Like, I don't, I don't want to get on this because I, I got a whole thing about this and I got a role. And so, um, like, we need Jesus, but our, our mental health, when it starts to fail, like, just takes over our world. And it's not bad to take medicine for that. You've heard me say that tons of times, right? Like, you're not less of a Christian if you need to seek counseling or you need to take medicine. That's okay. But when it takes over our world and eclipses God in our life, it's like we need Jesus and something. It's the opposite. Like those things should be driving us more into the arms of God. Like those things, the crises that you experience in your life should bring you back into the depth of Jesus because it's not Jesus and some, it's Jesus is good enough. And for Peter, man, he knew that because the depths of sin that, Pe that Jesus saved Peter from, we see it in the Gospels. At some point, Jesus turns around to Peter and he says, get away from me, Satan. That stings a little. 
In the last moments that Jesus was alive, Peter, his best friend, betrayed him. Like Peter knows the depth of sin that he had been saved from. And so when he steps up to preach, it's nothing to tell the people who need to hear it the most that Jesus is enough. And then there's this group of people who are listening who need it. And here's what happens in verse uh, 37. They say, what can we do next? Man, this message is incredible. We want it. We want more. And maybe this is you today. They say, what, uh, what should we do next? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sin. Uh, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off. And for all the Lord our God will call. I want you to notice here that, Jesus, that Peter doesn't do some kind of class with them. He doesn't do some 14-week study on baptism or a craft on what repentance means. He says, here's what you need to do, and you need to do it now. We'll figure out the rest in verse 40. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted Christ and the message were baptized. And there were about 3,000 added to their number that day. There's your first mega church. And um, for the people listening, Jesus was enough. All right. Um, verse, chapter 3. Chapter 3. One day, Peter and John, uh, they were going up to the temple at a time of prayer and at 3 in the afternoon. Man, Luke really needs us to know what time things are happening, right? 9 a.m., 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put, uh, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Man, I can't wait to get to Acts 4.13. Can't you? Don't cheat, cheaters. Don't, don't look yet, but that's where I would put myself in the story, and I hope that you will too, but it's going to take some time to get there, okay? And in Acts chapter 4, or in Acts chapter 3, um, it says this, uh, this dude was begging since uh, birth, and in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said this, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. All right, this guy's been begging in the same spot since he was born. He's lame. And uh, can you imagine? You pass by him every day. He's a piece of furniture at this point. Like, you just pass him by. He's, he's just there. And, and his beg and his plea for money is on deaf ears at this point, right? Like, you hear him with his spiel or with his cardboard, why lie, I want beer. You know, you've seen those guys? Like, you've seen it. You know, you don't even read it anymore. You just walk by. If you've got a few pennies, you'll drop it. But majority of the time, you're just going to keep going because it's just become static. Like, he's just be you've become callous to this man. And so Peter and John actually stop. That's a big deal. And he, he, he starts his spiel. Um, he starts to ask them. It says he asked them for money. Did, did you notice what Peter said? Look at me. Man. Can, you can imagine people walk by and they look at him. But I doubt, I doubt very uh, often he actually looks up into the eyes of anybody. And if he does, they haven't stopped long enough to look at him. 
This is a Jesus move. This is like a grown man Christ follower move right here. He's walking to the temple courts, and it's like he just stops, and he looks at him, and he's like, man, I want you to look at me. Hey, look, I don't know if this is you, uh, but maybe some of you need to hear this. It doesn't matter about the life that you used to live. Honestly, it doesn't matter about the life that you're entrenched in now. You have value. And there are people in this world that you work with, that you're dating, or that you're married to, who tell you the opposite. And I want to tell you that God's word says you are valuable. And to each one of you, there's some of you that go through life with your head down or, you know, proverbially, proverbally, we'll do Hooked on Fox later, but proverbially walking with your head to the ground. Look, you're valuable. And you're valuable to God, you're valuable to us, and you can't let any pressure from society or anything else tell you different. As a matter of fact, let the, let the scene on the cross tell you how valuable you are. And they stop him and say, look at me, and then this is what happens. But Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Look, all right, this is so fun, dude. Yeah. So Peter and John are going, right? And in Acts chapter 2, this crazy thing happens. They start speaking in language that they didn't do or that they didn't know. They start preaching. Uh, and then people gather. And then Peter steps out and he's like, all right, y'all, here we go. We're going to see if this thing works. He preaches the gospel of Jesus and only the gospel of Jesus and nothing else, no prosperity or health or anything like that. He just says, come follow Jesus because that's where you'll get the forgiveness of sins and be saved, right? And then people did it. And Peter, I bet, with his boy John, were like, dude, can you believe this? We're only a few days in. And people are following Jesus. John's probably like, yeah, Jane ain't done a miracle yet. Then they're walking up to the temple courts, and there's this moment where John finds value because God finds value. And this lame man that's begging, and he's like, dude, look at me. Look at me. No, seriously, look at me. And he looks up at John, and John's like, I bet he just got like, I don't know, like puffed his chest out, you know, like flared his nostrils a little bit. And he's like, dude, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. And I bet there was a, like a moment. Dude, what if God doesn't come through right now? You ever have one of those? Peter and John are like, what if God doesn't come through? Because I'll tell you, if God doesn't come through right here and the wrong person heard him say that, Peter and John will die within hours because of blasphemy. But instead, God does come through. But I want to ask you this question. Christ followers live lives where God has to come through or nothing else. Like there is no plan B. That group I was sitting around with, I told you that guy pulled me outside and asked me about the story. We were just talking about that, and I don't know who said it. There were three of us. Maybe I said it, but it's like, man, I want to live a life where if the power of God does not show up, that I'm going to look like an idiot. Might be right now. I don't know, but 
I want to live a life that only can be explained because God came through over and over and over and over and over. That's how you build your faith. Peter and John are like, he says, look, stand up and walk. And I bet there's a moment that's like, God, if you don't come through right now, God, if we don't pay this bill, they're going to come collect it. God, if my husband doesn't change, our marriage will be over. God, if my kids don't start listening, I'm going to lose it. I can't do this by myself anymore. God, I just don't know what to do anymore. I need you. (laughs) Man. And God came through. Look at verse 7, talking him, or taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. Oh, we're getting so close to Acts chapter 4. He starts to run around, and they ask him, dude, what happened? Like, what's, what, what, you weren't, you, you are, you weren't. This doesn't match what happened. How do you not tell what happened, right? Well, it starts to get people in a little bit of trouble, namely Peter and John. Here's the thing. If you're going to be a Christ pursuer, a lover of God, you have got to put the kingdom of God first. Jesus has got to be enough There will be times that you will need to put it all on the line. Will you take them? Here we go. Acts chapter 4. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. Their language is really specific here. Uh, They've been talking about men and women, men and women, men and women, but right here it says the number of men who believed grew. That's how they counted families, was just the the man. And so you're talking about way more than 5,000. At this point, you're probably talking about, if it were Jacksonville, you'd be talking about like a million because every family has 37 kids, and that's okay. That's why our village is so good, because your kids are awesome. Um, but if, if we're talking about, uh, you know, two kids and a wife here, you're talking about 20,000 people. Verse 5, but the next day, the elders and the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Look at the verse, verse 8. Then Peter, on his own power, stood up and began to speak. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called on account today of an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked who, uh, how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus because he's enough. 
was the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. This is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Look, um, I'm going to read a passage in Psalm real quick. I don't know if I can find Psalms. There it is, Psalm 118. Um, maybe. Psalm 118, verse 22, says this. This is David talking about Jesus. Imagine that. And it says this, The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has made Jesus the cornerstone that other people will reject. And you know what the next verse is? Because of that, because Jesus is the cornerstone but was rejected and because God had done it, do you know what the next verse is? Because of that, the resurrected Jesus, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Peter doesn't know what's going to happen next. Possibly death is on the horizon. But even so, he quotes the passage of Scripture that says, This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it because Jesus is the cornerstone. Oh, that's good. Could it be that Peter was remezzing? I don't know. Uh, if you don't know what Remez is, go listen to last week's sermon. I'm making too many references to that, but anyway, it's on our podcast. Verse 12, and salvation is found. He's preaching still, and he says, Salvation is found in no other name um, under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Okay, don't read verse 13. Stop. Don't read. You already did it. Man, you're punks. That's okay. That's all right. Peter stands up, and in the face of the people who could kill him, he does one thing. He preaches. He tells them, it's only because of Jesus that this is possible. If you're putting this on account, he says, of doing a good deed, let me tell you why. It's only because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. All right, we got to. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I would put myself right there. I would put myself right there because Peter is living a life that is on the line in Acts chapter 3, that is based on the gospel and the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in Acts chapter 2. And it's based on the kingdom of God first. And when they say, man, how did you do this? Why did you do this? He says, it's only because of Jesus that I could. And it doesn't say when they heard how good his sermon was, and it doesn't say that when, when they saw how funny he was or, or, or how, I don't know, whatever. What it said was when they saw the courage of this man to stand up in front of the people who could kill him and ridicule him and make his life miserable. When they saw that his courage was to stand up and say it's only because of Jesus. They took note that he had been with Jesus. 
Because he's just an unschooled, ordinary man. Man, it's starting to sound like a preacher. That's good. <clears throat> man, I... And, and, and then the verse says, they were amazed. <clears throat> the people were amazed. For Jacksonville, Restored Church, we like to say that we're for Jacksonville. I'm going to try to wrap this up. We say that we're for Jacksonville, okay? And right now in our community, people need to see courage. But not some fake facade of courage, right? They need to see a church that's willing to put it all on the line, They need to see a group of people that are like, dude, we're more than just about a Sunday morning. We are for you. You know, a coworker that really you can't stand, well, let's say that can't stand you because you love people uh, recklessly, you know, those that you're for them. We're for the people in our apartment complex and we're for the people that we can't stand to work with and we're for our kids' teachers. We are for Jacksonville. And our city needs to see a church that will stand up and fight for them, stand up and love them, stand up and sacrifice for them. Here's what I want to beg you to do. If you could put yourself in any part of the story, put yourself in a position where you're showing courage because you put it all on the line for a Jesus who saved you because you're all about the kingdom of God. And here's the cool thing. We don't have to imagine putting ourselves in the story. Just do it. Put yourself in the story right now. I mean, who do you need to tell about your life and why it happened? What do you need to do to put the kingdom of God first? What do you have to do to start to believe that Jesus is enough? Or maybe you already have it in your mind, how you need to put it all on the line. And maybe for you, that's giving your life to Jesus. Um, because I talked too long, we're going we're gonna to do all this here at the end together. Um, so wherever Josh is, that's your cue. Um, <clears throat> see how subtle we are? <laughs> wherever Josh is, hey, dude, that's your cue. Come on, time. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I was listening to, um, I got to listen to a few preachers this, this week on, uh, on, on Facebook, and um, one of them, uh, I just caught the end of his sermon this is what he said uh, he was preaching. His name is David Platt. If you ever get a chance to listen to his sermons, he's great. Or, or uh, read his books. Um, they're even better. <clears throat> and uh, he, he finished up the point that I got to listen to, because, again, I was late and didn't listen to the whole thing. He said, um, how desperate are you for people to know Jesus? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty desperate. <laughs> also, there's no such thing as pretty desperate. Either you are or you're not. And um, he said, uh, how desperate are you to know, for people to know Jesus? I'm like, yeah, okay. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, like if, if you believe, because guys, I don't know if you can tell, but this is real for us. This is not some make-believe thing that we just show up and tell fairy tales. This isn't a hobby or just something to do. This isn't a last resort for us. This is our life to pursue Jesus in every waking moment. Like we're wrapped around this this gospel. And so this isn't just a thing. 
And uh, so he asked, he said, how desperate are you for people to know Jesus? And I'm like, man, dude, I'm, I moved to a city, started a church. I'm pretty desperate. He said, he said this, he said, how, when's the last time you hit your knees and cried? Because the people you know, if Jesus were to come back, would not spend eternity with you in heaven, but instead would, would suffer forever. And man, I, just like maybe pause and it was a perfect moment because Aaron left the room so I like maybe even wipe my you know allergies and just... he's like when's the last time you begged to God for the people that you know and you work with and you see every day to know Jesus so when's the last time you begged for for a spouse to come to, to know Jesus or for um, I don't know And David Platt paused just like that. And it just made you think, because it's like, man, if, if this isn't a game, like if this is real, then it's time to get to work. Like it's time to put our money where our mouth is and be for Jacksonville. And, um, man, it, it struck me. He told a story about where God came to Elijah or to Ezekiel, and he wanted to give Ezekiel a vision. And so he puts Ezekiel, and you can read it later in Ezekiel chapter uh, thirty four or seven, one of those two. And he puts him in the middle of a graveyard and it's full of bones. Okay, just imagine. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, bring these bones back to life. How can these bones come back to life? And Ezekiel says, only you, Lord. And he says, speak to them this word of the Lord. I will bring bone to bone and I will surround it with tendons and these bodies will begin to walk. Can you imagine being there and seeing it? It's kind of creepy. <laughs> but it, it would be amazing, be incredible. But it was only because of the word of God. And then he says, are they alive yet? And, the, and Ezekiel says, no. And he said, well, it'll take for them to be alive. And he said, they need breath. And, and he says, all right, speak to them on behalf of the Lord, Ezekiel. Speak to them and say the word of the Lord. I will bring breath into your lifeless body and you will live. And, and Ezekiel said he watches as the breath comes into these, into these bodies and fills their life and their living life again. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're dead, our God will breathe life back into your lifeless body and you will have life again and have it to the full. But this morning we were setting up and I carried some really heavy signs out to the front. So if you don't do anything on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. and nobody does because it's Sunday morning at 7 a.m., you should come help us set up so I don't have to carry those signs anymore. But I was carrying the signs, the parking signs you saw, and uh, cars were riding by me. And this is what hit me. We're living in a valley of dry bones. Where people who don't even know they're dead are dying. And if the Lord were to return right now, would your neighbor go to heaven with you? Or your coworker to go to heaven with you? Or your cousin or your mom or your uncle? How desperate are you? Put it all on the line. Insert yourself into the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. 